Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Good morning, everyone. How are you doing? Good. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, Lauren, Lauren spoke um, on behalf of our family, um, from me as well. Also, just thank you to this community. It's been an incredible 10 years. Some of you um, we've walked with for quite a while, um, some of you for a shorter while. But um, there's been so many friends who've become family, and um, especially when we led the, the Sandon Church, you know, there was a lot of leaders and volunteers who helped carry that, um, which was also a very busy season in our lives. And uh, I think God designed it that way because He didn't want us to, to rely on our own strength. So we literally, you know, kind of headed up the plant as our second boy was born, and, you know, I had been promoted at work, and there was additional responsibilities there, and it was just... It was just so encouraging to see God send people and people come alongside us. Uh, we would never would have been able to do that um, were it not for that support. Um, I, also, I also just want to honor... Um, yo, it, w- when we came to Joburg, the, the, there was one congregation of about 40 people who met in like a conference facility in Western Service Road on the M1, like in the north of Joburg. <laughs> It was a very different, it was a bunch of young, zeal, fresh out of varsity people, um, and it was exciting, but it's, like God has really, I've, I just thought this morning, you know, Shofar's vision is um, to reach nations and generations through disciple-making, leadership development, and church planting, and over our 10 years, we've really been able to be witnesses to see God do that. This morning, it's not a bunch of 20-year-old white students from Stellenbosch that are sitting here, it's nations and generations that are sitting here, representative of God's family. Um, And I I believe that this church has played such a significant role in all of our discipleship and leadership development. Many of us have been involved in church planting or small group planting. Um, And it's, so I'm with Sonia this morning. I'm just like in awe. You know, of what God does. And, and I think it's important to take a moment and just to, you know, like even if you're still here next year, you know, if you're in Joburg, it's the end of, of this year. I think 2021, everyone thought sort of, you know, okay, it's a new year, 2021, here we go. But in some ways, it's been a more difficult year than 2020. Um, and I think it's important to take a moment and just to, just to remember, just to notice, you know, what has God done this year? Who has he shown himself to be? And how can that revelation and that, that walking in, a, in, a, in an experienced knowledge of who God is sustain us in the season that is to come, whatever that season looks like for you? And so, um, yeah, for me as well, Henny, Rochelle, honor you guys, love you guys. We'll, we, we're friends now, so sorry. You, even though we're not around, we're still going to be talking. Um, and um, Andre and Mezen, who you know, also became really special friends and was such critical support to us um, with the Santon Church. And I also just wanted to, I think, in their absence, uh, mention Alex and Izan, who's been here for what feels like 78 years, <laughs> um, you know, and they're just going strong. They're just here and they're just like those, those rocks. 
Um, I'd like to read this morning from Joshua 4. I don't have slides, um, so you'll have to rip out your Bible um, in printed form or digital. Um, So Joshua 4, I'll be reading out of the, the New International Version. And it says, When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, and I, th- I think sometimes we, you know, we read the Bible and we, we you know, I don't know, if, if you're in any sort of in a work environment similar to mine, you might, you're kind of forced to get used to like speed reading, you know, you just like scan and you take out the, but, but, but let's, like let's, let's, let's immerse ourselves in, in where the story is, right? This is the Israelites They've, they were in captivity, in slavery for many years. God delivered them out of Egypt. They went through the Red Sea. And they had now been in the desert for 40 years. You know, apparently it's, it's, if, you, if you walk a straight line, you know, from where they exited Egypt and where they needed to enter the Promised Land, it's a 40-day journey. They spent 40 years in the, in the desert, and, and we'll look at, at the purpose of that as well. But, <clears throat> and now they're about to enter into this promised land that the Lord had been speaking to them about, that they had been dreaming about, that had been prophesied about. But they get to this river, and this river is the banks of flooding. Can you imagine that? The Jordan River, it says the banks are flooding, the banks are breaking down. It's this mighty, rushing mass of water that no man can cross. And then the Lord says, let the priests carry the ark into the river. And as they step into the river, the water starts to dry up. And it all dams up. And this massive, powerful force of water, force of nature, stops. So they can pass through on dry ground. And it says, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Oh, and I want to be this sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Imagine being Joshua in that moment. You just trying to get like all these Israelites across, you know, before the waters. And, but he's, he notices God speaking into his heart saying, Choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, And carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. And this morning, I want to I share around building memorials. 
It feels like such a significant moment passing the Jordan, and yet God like pauses that whole procession, and he says, I know you. I know that you're human and that you, you tend to forget. You tend to get busy. What's happening here is a massive, like, earth-shattering miracle. It's supernatural. But sometimes we forget. Time passes. We get distracted. Life gets full. Things are messy. And we forget what God had done. And he said, well, I'm going to help you. I want you to send these 12 men back to the middle of the river where the priests are standing. These rocks that no one had ever been able to access before because this river is too powerful. And no one will be able to access again because there will be powerful water rushing through there. But I want you to go gather those stones. And you're going to build a memorial which is going to be a visual reference point for you to see, to look to. Because God knew that they're like the, the promised land are full of giants. Yes, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. And when the spies went to go spy the land, they came back with these poles and these like clusters of grapes that two men had to carry on a pole. It's an amazing, blessed, favorable, beautiful, abundant country. But there are giants there. And those giants need to be conquered. There are fortified cities there. Cities with massive walls that no man has ever scaled. And God knew that the Israelites, they needed to take this in. This needed to become part of who they are. They need to know in a very real and a very deep way who God is because that's what's going to strengthen them when they face those giants and those fortified cities that God wants to give them victory over so that they can take hold of the promised land. So why do we build memorials? I already mentioned that I think we forget. I just remembered this morning that I, I once prayed for a friend who had been diagnosed with cancer and God healed her. It was confirmed, you know, she had gone for tests. They were preparing her to go through treatment and, you know, I was still a very young Christian and I just had this in, intense prompting of the Holy Spirit to go and pray for this, this friend of mine. And it felt so awkward, you know, I went to go back to how, the, the house and I got my mom's like scented olive oil and went back there and I, I just asked, can I pray for you? And she went back for another set of tests to see how far the cancer had spread so that they could prep the surgery and they couldn't find a trace of cancer. God had healed her. But today, she, she had turned her back on the Lord. She's no longer walking with Him. And it breaks my heart, but it's also just a, a reminder for me that we forget sometimes. It's important to build these memorials. We get busy, right? And I, I've seen what, what I think the enemy does sometimes, is the enemy would want us to believe that, you know, that miracle was context-specific, you know, that was just that circumstance or that time or God was able to do it because of how it looked like in that moment or because of the people involved. But that is a lie. The miracle is not context-specific. It may be new giants. It may be different challenges or obstacles, but it's the same God. <clears throat> and memorials, 
They, they're not just true for that speci- what happened there specifically. That reveals a part of who God is and his nature, his character, his power is consistent in every circumstance, in every age, with every person. He does not change. Right. I spoke about the promised land, and I think, I think another reason why God asked us to build memorials is because, is because of the giants and the fortified cities, and those are things that strengthen us when we face obstacles and battles, but also because, um, also because of like the milk and the honey and stuff, right? It's a, it's a nice place to live. And if we look at history, if we look at the Israelites' journey, it was often in those times when when it went well with them, it went well, it went easy, there wasn't much oppression, there wasn't much um, persecution, that they forgot and they turned away from God and their hearts became dull. And God's like, I want to give you this amazing, amazing country. I want to give you the best. You're my kids. I love you. And I'm bringing you into this land of milk and honey and massive grapes and all these things. Um, but I want you to I want you to remain surrendered. I want you to remain in awe of me. I want you to remain close to me. I want you to remain in intimate um, knowledge of me. I want that fear of God to remain intact. I think that's another reason. But then again, also the memorials is not just for us. It's for our community and for, for next generations, right? We see when your children ask, tell them. Um, and... Uh, Right, so in that case, it was, it, the memorial was an actual, it was the actual rocks, right, that they got from the river and they built this structure. There's a point for them to refer back to. For us, it, it, it will look different, but it's important to pause and to make a big deal of what God had done and who he revealed himself to be through that. And so if we briefly look at Israel's journey from, um, from the Red Sea to the Jordan, the 40 years in the desert, they, they entered the Red Sea as slaves. But they emerged from the Red Sea as free people, right? And that to me is, is almost like a, a picture of, of baptism, right? When we get baptized, like going into the water, we are slaves to sin, right? But emerging from the water, God says, my blood has cleansed you and I've made you free, but who knows from experience that the journey doesn't end there. <laughs> you know, then there's this 40 years in the desert where God says, yes, your position in the spirit has changed. You are no longer dead. You are now alive. And through the, the circumcision in our hearts by the Holy Spirit as well. Right? But there remains a renewal of mind and heart. Who can testify to that? <laughs> um, the great thing is with the Israelites, um, God had to physically kill off a generation, you know, which seems harsh. But none of the Israelites who were in Egypt saw the promised land. That entire generation died out. And there was a new generation who emerged into the promised land, a generation whose hearts were soft to God, a generation who believed God, a generation who knew his ways and his heart, generation who knew they were God's people, a generation who were following God, a generation who feared the Lord. And that's what God does in us, right? He, there's a dying of the old man, of the outer self, right? And there's a renewal of mind, there's a renewal of heart over time through His grace where 
The inner man is strengthened and we are, we are made new. Where we know God's voice, we know his heart, we know his ways. How did God do that for the Israelites? Well, he taught them. Um, my, my dad, I think my parents are watching the sermon. Um, my dad has just retired after 30 years at the same company, 38 years. Um, and I think he, he was doing a lot of reflection as he was, as he was sort of nearing the end of his, his tenure at this company. And, um, and he'll often be speaking about moments that mattered. You know, looking back, these were the moments that mattered. You know, there were times where significant things happened that shaped him as a person, that, that shaped the, the organization's culture, etc. And um, there were some moments that mattered for the Israelites in the desert, right? I, I, I scanned through their journey. I mean, it's four books of the Bible from, you know, from Exodus to Deuteronomy, their journey in the desert. So, but, but some of the highlights, I think, were when God parted the Red Sea, when you know, they had just gone through the Red Sea, and then they got to the waters at Elam, and the waters were bitter. They couldn't drink it. But God said to Moses, put a, a log in the water, and the waters were restored, and they could drink the water. Right? God also provided water from a rock. They were hungry, and God sent the manna and the quail. He provided food for them in the desert, literally out of thin air. Then the Amalekites attacked them. You know, nations stronger than them, wanted to, wanting to overtake them. But God gave them victory with Moses having his hands up um, and his aides holding his arms up so that the battle could be won. God showed himself to Moses. He spoke to them. He gave him his law, revealing his heart and his ways to them. The people saw God's glory reflected in Moses' face, you know, so much so that he had to cover his face with a veil. There was the pillar of, of fire by night and, and the pillar of cloud by day that was a constant reminder of God's presence and that he was guiding them to where they needed to go next. And, and he was creating that dependency where they were learning to look to God. Imagine these slaves who are just used to like, like you know, stepping the mud and making, making bricks in the mud with the straw to a point where God is saying, no, look up to me. Make me your gaze. Make me your focus, your attention, your affection. See where I'm going. And he taught them how to do that over 40 years. There was a tent of meeting, another constant reminder of God's presence. There was the bronze serpent, right? When the serpents were, the snakes were unleashed and they were being bitten and people died. And he said, make this bronze serpent. And when people look to it, they will be healed. And we saw that imagery later as well when Jesus said, you know, when the Son of Man is lifted up from the earth, he will draw all people to himself. And it's like that snake in the desert, that bronze serpent who was lifted up and people looked to it and they were healed. And then Jesus, on the cross, right, he was lifted up from the earth and he said, I will draw all men to myself. And God was already preparing us for that moment when the Israelites were in, in the desert. But, but through all these things, and Henny, this is my, my farewell gift to you. The three Ps that uh, the Israelites... <laughs> those of you who know Henny, who've listened to more than one sermon of Henny, will know he's got... There's a special grace for alliteration on Henny's life. <laughs> and I've seen other people try to do this, where they... They, they'll preach about something and they'll, they'll sort of force it, you know. But then you, 
you sort of see that they actually compromise the meaning of the word to get a fourth C or whatever it was. But with Henny, somehow it always works out. It's like, so the three Ps, Henny, of, um, you know, this is not an exhaustive list, but this is, I think, part of what God was, um, part of what God was, was teaching the Israelites. He's saying, like, you're no longer slaves. You are my people. And he had to, like, use some of these things for them to get it, right? Um, But there was provision. God showing them that I am your provider. It's not your minimum wage for having, like, broken your back in the heat of the day, being oppressed. I am your provider, right? Even though your hearts are lusting after the meat pots of Egypt, I'm going to teach you that, that I am the one, I know your needs, and I provide for your needs. Protection, right? I am your protector. I am the Lord, your banner. I am the one who's going to help you defeat these nations, and that's going to help you know that with me, in my presence, you are safe. There's protection, there's vindication. And then his presence, I am with you always. The, imagine, like, can we just, I know that we, we get used to these things because we read them, maybe we grow up with them, but imagine for 40 years, every day there's this pillar of cloud that's hovering. In the night, there's a pillar of fire in the night sky. There's this tent of meeting, and you can see, like, when Moses enters, God's presence enters, and something's happening, Right? Provision, protection, and presence. God was teaching them, I am these things to you while they were in the desert. He wanted them to know that he loves them, that he's all-powerful, and that he asks us to give all of ourselves to him. Lauren and I, earlier this year, um, our family was, we were, we were in a, not a lack of space. We were surviving you know, we were, we felt confused. We um, had had significant challenges with our neighbors. Um, some of you know the story. <laughs> um, Lauren was battling anxiety, something that she had not needed to struggle with before in her life. There were promises that God had given us, which it seemed like the intensity and the frequency of these promises coming up were increasing, but... Nothing in the natural seemed to change. And, um, and we were struggling. And, and I remember Lauren at one point saying to me, love, I think we need to just set some time aside and, and just build some memorials of God's faithfulness. I, I think we need, we've forgotten like, who God is and who we know him to be through the things that he's taken us through in the past. And uh, I was like, okay, well, it's worth a shot. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> and we sat down one night. We set a night aside, and I had my journal with me. And we started, we started reflecting on some of the things. That <laughs> and even now, we, you know, I, I've got a different list here that I want to share on today. It'll include some of the, the things Lauren and I spoke about that night, but... Having done that in that moment completely changed our perspective and the, the position of our hearts. And we were like, okay. 
we know this God. He's still the same God. And now, having done it again, personally, you know, we're moving in like three weeks, so it's really not a lot of time. My perspective has changed about why we're going and, and what God wants to do when we get there. You know, from maybe selfish reasons to where is God waiting for us? What is he wanting to do? How, who is he wanting to reach through us? What is he wanting to show to us about himself, about who he is? And um, so, so I'm going through a list of 12, and I'm, I'm kind of inviting you into a part of our family story and, and my story. Most of them I'll just mention briefly for the sake of time. I'll, I'll expand on, on two or three. But I invite you to go and do the same thing. However, whatever makes sense for you, you know, whether that's journaling or sharing it with a friend or, you know, sometimes I've actually like bought or built something physically in the house, you know, so that when we look back at it, we're reminded, you know, we go out for a meal and we celebrate or we give some money away or we, but we do something, right, to, to remind ourselves of that. And I've borrowed some of my boys' blocks as a prop. These are my stones of the Jordan River. Um, so the first one was um, choosing Lauren as a wife, and how God taught me through that through that journey about sonship and manhood, and took me from passive timidity to confidently taking hold of that that He's prepared for me. The second one was. Um, Pastor Heinrich, he was the pastor here before, Pastor um, Eni, and he's now the, um, I want to say the boss of Shofar, but that's not <laughs> the international leader. Um, and I had been struggling with some things, and I went to him, and I, I asked him to um, pray for me for deliverance. You know, I really felt like there was some kind of demon here, and we need to get it out so that I can get on with my life. And I went to him, and... And he looked at me and he said, you don't really believe that God loves you. And I was like, excuse me, that's not why I came. Um, can you just pray the prayer? Let's go. And, um, and I was a little bit offended, you know. I'd been in church for a while. I was his own coach and I, you know, had ministry responsibilities. And, I, and he says, I, I know you know and you believe in your head that God loves you, but the way that you live your life doesn't testify of a, of a knowing that God loves you. And he said, well, you know, he prayed sort of some light prayer. And he said, you know, I want you to go and ask God to show you his love for you. Go and find scriptures about his love and meditate on that. Listen to songs about God's love for you. And, um, and through that, God really showed me his love in a, in a it's that, what's a 12-inch drop, right, from the head to the heart. The third one was applying... You know, when I finished my articles at Deloitte to apply for a job at Deloitte, but I was applying out of a place of fear and confusion, and I was in church one morning, and someone had a, a word, such a spot-on word of knowledge exactly describing my circumstances, how they had played up to that point. And they just said, God says, you don't have to do this. I've got something else in store for you. 
And just the encouragement in my heart that God sees me and that he guides me, he leads me in those specific moments. I forgot my block. The fourth one was shortly before Benjamin's birth, our eldest, um, we went visiting friends one night and I, I drove a bucky at that stage. And I parked the bucky in front of the outside of the apartment building and, and we walked to the entrance of the building and I just had such a, such a, like a, unrustigheid, you know, I, I didn't have peace. And I, I actually went back to the bucky and I took my laptop out and our house keys out and I took everything out of the bucky and we went back and then I still felt this and I, then I moved the bucky, bucky to the front of, like right in front of the building and then I was like, oh, surely now it's fine. And then we went up and we had a great time with them. And then at some point during the evening, the <coughs> security guard ran up and he said, your bucky's been stolen, your bucky's been stolen. And, and to me, God was just showing me that he'd warned me, right? I'd taken a house keys out, my laptop, my sunglasses, which I loved, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and the great thing was that Lauren, Lauren had been wanting like a, an SUV. And I was just like, no, that's such a mom car. You know, I love my bucky. <laughs> And God even saw the desires of Lauren's heart, you know, and the insurance paid out in full and we could buy the SUV. Um, <laughs> I also, there was one night we were about to go visit a small group and I remember us lying in bed and Lauren said, she's feeling really anxious and she doesn't know why, you know, she's just like heart beating fast. And uh, we were like, okay, Lord, and we just submitted it to God, and we took communion, and we prayed, and, and she said, okay, cool. She's, you know, she's experiencing a sense of peace. And um, that night, they broke into our, our flat, and they, they cut our um, burglar bars with, a, with like a bolt cutter or something, and the sound should have woken us up. If you think about metal snapping that way, it's like right by our main bedroom, but I believe it was a miracle that we slept through and didn't wake up while these guys were in our house. And God protected us. And when I, when I, when I looked back at Lauren, she was sitting in the bed and she was laughing. <laughs> you know, and something that could have been a really traumatic experience, God was just saying, I see you, I'm with you. I prepared you for this. I protected you while they were here. And so knowing God's protection... He freed us from generational strongholds and cycles while we were here. God showed us that there were cycles and, and patterns in our families around pride specifically. On the one side, pride manifesting as a, as a haughtiness, and I'm going to do this by myself, and I'm going to do it in my own strength. On the other side, pride in the form of false humility and inferiority. And he revealed those things to us, and he healed us and delivered us, us from it. I remember having, we had already been married and um, I was away for work, and I remember having this incredibly lustful dream one night. And I woke up from this dream, and I it, it felt so real that I I remember waking up and thinking, how am I going to tell Lauren about what happened? You know, and I and then I realized it was just a dream, but I still felt so dirty and so ashamed and so condemned and, and far from God. And I remember going to sit at his feet that morning and him like just experiencing the blood of Jesus washing over me and discovering like the cleansing power of his blood. 
and how he makes us new. I remember with Benjamin's birth, it was also not, um, it went very different to how we imagined it. But God showed me through that that there's purpose in hardship. And he spoke to me and he said to me that I'm using this to enlarge your capacity for what I've prepared for you to carry. I remember there was some, um, one Friday afternoon, it was such a crazy time. We had, it was the church and it was work and it was small children and it was just such a season of there was no way of getting to everything. And I remember this afternoon, some client meetings had been canceled at the last minute and I, I managed to get further into my unread mails than I otherwise would have. And I found a mail that said that day was the last day I could exercise a share option with my company. And and I managed to phone our stockbroker and lend some money from my dad to buy the shares and open up a facility literally in the nick of time. And it was financially also a very tight season for us. And... And we, we got this, you know, we made a profit on the sale of the shares equal to three months' salary for me. And, um, and God was just saying to me, if, you're, if you focus on what matters to me, if you build my church, if you build my kingdom, I've got your back with these other things. And even though it was frantic and I wasn't trying to keep track of all these things, God made a way. He canceled those meetings. He made me notice that, that mail and he provided for us. Many of you know the story of the, the little girl um, that Lauren was pregnant with that we lost at, at uh, 18 weeks, uh, Talita. And through that, walking that journey with God, it showed us his kindness and his compassion in a, in a way that we had never known it before. We had such a crazy time with our neighbors, like end of last year and beginning of this year, both sides. It was such a spiritual thing. They were like, you know, it was just crazy. I can tell you the story. It's actually quite an entertaining story. Um, But it was a very oppressive thing. It was a very heavy time for our family. And I remember talking to the leadership team and they praying with us and encouraging us with the word and just saying, like, God's fighting this battle on your behalf. God's fighting this battle on your behalf. I wanted to take legal action. I wanted to like do stuff, make it happen. And God was just like, no, I want you to let me fight this battle for you. you. I don't want you to do anything. I don't want you to engage with them. I don't want you to talk to them. I don't want you to involve anyone. Just focus on me and let me do it. And within three months, they had both moved. And we now have amazing neighbors. We're having dinner with them. We're fellowshipping with them. And the second neighbor who moved contacted us and basically humbled themselves and asked for forgiveness before they moved. I've forgotten a few blocks again. And, um, and the last one that I, I chose to share today is just through this decision to, it was such a big decision for us, you know, deciding whether to move to, is that right? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. There we go. Okay. One more. Um, it was a difficult decision for us to make. And um, and I'll just say that God taught us that 
It's okay to make plans if we remain, remain surrendered to him in executing those plans and that we shouldn't be afraid of the desires in our heart but that we can bring those to him and let him help us discern which of those desires are from him and not from him and what are the timing of those desires. I want to end off with just reading the last portion of Joshua 4 from verse 19. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. He did this. There's two audiences. God is, has two audiences in mind when he did this. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth will know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. And he also did it so that you, God's people, might always fear the Lord your God. And this is, I think, what God wants us to know as we're moving into different seasons, whether it be a new year, a new location, a new life stage. I'm doing something in you. I'm doing something through you. It might be hectic, difficult, challenging while you're going through it, but I'm doing it so that the peoples of the earth will know that the Lord is powerful. And I'm doing it so that you will fear the Lord, so that your heart will have a reverence, an admiration, a focus on God, following him in, in loving surrender. And lastly, it's interesting to me that there were 12 stones, one for each of the tribes of Israel. This wasn't just a miracle for Joshua or the priests who had stood in the middle of the river when it dried up. This was a memorial to strengthen the whole of Israel and the generations that followed them. And so the memorials that I shared with you now, let that strengthen you. And let's, let's share our memorials with each other to be strengthened because we have different stories, God coming through for us in different ways, revealing different parts of his character to us. But when we share those stories, we, we have a fuller view of who he is and what he's capable of doing. And so I encourage you to reflect on what God has done and who he's revealed himself to be, to build those memorials and to share it with the people around us. Thank you. I mean, I, I really think this is something that's relevant to all of us. You see, so easy, <clears throat> it's so easy to, 
to only focus on where we are now or where we want to be one day. And we forget that there are milestones along, along the way. Milestones that we've already passed and milestones that we will still hit. And, and what Stephanie is saying to us today from the Word of God is that, number one, we must build memorials. And number two, we must remember and celebrate those milestones. Celebrate what the Lord has done. Because when we remember what the Lord has done in the past, it gives us faith for what the Lord is going to do in the future. As the Lord was faithful in the past, so he will be, continue to be, faith, uh, to be faithful in the future. So I just want you to, um, yeah, just right there where you are, just, just close your eyes and, and think maybe of two or three memorials or, or events, two or three things that the Lord did that you have not yet memorialized. Two or three things that the Lord has done that you have not yet built a memorial for. And I just want you to, to ask the Lord, Lord, how must I, what are these things that you want, that you want me to memorialize and, and, and help me to actually build a memorial in the week to come? And actually just thank him for, for what he's done. Yes, Lord God, we just want to thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, Lord. You have indeed been faithful, Lord God. And, Lord, it's true that like the Israelites, we so easily forget, Lord, what you have done. But we remind ourselves this morning that you have been so faithful to us. You have not treated us as we deserve, Lord. But you have given us so many good things, Lord, and in the midst of challenges and troubles and storms, you have been with us and you've taken care of us, Lord. And Lord, we, we just want to honor you and praise you and thank you for your faithfulness in our lives. And we want to pray, Lord, that like you commanded the Israelites, that we will also be generous with our testimonies as we point to through those memorials, Lord, that we will say, this is what the Lord has done. This is how far the Lord has brought us. These are the troubles he has brought us through. These are the miracles he has done to save us. Lord, and that the testimony of your faithfulness and of your power will go out to the nations, Lord. Lord, and that our hearts will fear you in a, in a loving and reverent way that causes us to trust you more in the new seasons that we go into in Jesus' name and the new places that we go to. We just praise you and we pray, Lord, that your name be lifted up through our testimonies in Jesus' name. Lord, and we, we just ask that in this week to come, Lord, that you'll give us opportunity to share some of the testimonies of what you have done in our lives, some of the testimonies of your faithfulness, in our lives, so that others may be encouraged as well, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.